Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is Budiwa Gavaza, and for today, we get into a conversation about some of the tax administration laws and the amendment bill. And we're just going to be chatting around, uh, you know, the tax administration laws amendment bill, transparency or erosion of privacy. Uh, that's what we are going to be talking about, uh, lending itself uh, to conversations about about uh, the grey listing of South Africa, tax evasion, you know, some of the financial crimes that are out there and some of the steps that are actually being taken to address all of that and to help us to make sense of this world. And I say make sense quite seriously because uh, tax tends to be one of those things that's uh, quite, uh, you know, difficult for a lot of people to understand. We are joined uh, today uh, by uh, Etienne Retief, who is the chairman of the South African Institute of Professional Accountants National Tax and SARS Committee. So Etienne, greetings to you today. Good day. Good place for us to start, uh, Etienne. Um, obviously, we are going to be getting into, um, you know, this amendment bill and what it means. But um, you are, you know, part of the South African uh, Institute of uh, Professional Accountants. That, you know, name in itself, uh, you know, sounds quite self-explanatory. But the National Tax and SARS Committee piece um, of the equation, maybe you could give us a little bit uh, more insight into the work that your unit is doing yep. so what happens is within the the uh, practice environment we have uh, tax practitioners and tax practitioners have to belong to uh, registered controlling bodies and these are professional bodies so some of them are focused purely on tax others have audit or counting sides as well uh, now Cyper is one of those where our core focus is on the accounting and assurance elements as well as the tax side, and we are a recognized controlling body. So uh, essentially representing both the users of practitioners as well as the practitioner, and our engagement is with SARS in uh, essentially from the, from the practitioner side and from the user side to deal with things like uh, systems, uh, legislation, need for changes. Uh, so even where things like draft legislation is proposed post the budget, uh, we'll do commentary that's presented to the Standing Committee on Finance and Parliament. Uh, it, it goes through a whole process of that change in legislation that, that we are part of. Uh, and then we also engage with SARS as stakeholders. So a lot of the system changes needed, problems that people have, um, when there's systemic issues, any of these kind of things we would also be dealing with. So to, to ultimately to create a better tax system. Well, it certainly sounds like, uh, you know, from everything that you've just said, uh, that you'd probably be one of a handful of people, you know, to actually know and understand um, some of what's going on in uh, South Africa's quite complex uh, tax landscape. When we're talking about the Tax Administration Laws Amendment Bill, right, what are some of the what is this bill trying to do? I think let's answer that first uh, you know before we get into the transparency and be and before we get into that the transparency part of the discussion. What is the law 
and what is it trying to what is it actually trying to amend because usually when you are amending a law there's there's been changes you know perhaps it's been a long time or maybe there's just been shifts in the landscape what is what is happening here so a little bit of background. So the Tax Administration's Legislation Act uh, came into place to to take a lot of the administrative elements of taxation out of the core legislation. So when we have things like the Income Tax Act and the VAT Act, you've got a, a number of different pieces of legislation that now have little bits and pieces of administration. And then there was a whole bunch of administration which was based on common law or common practice rather than a legislative environment. So some time back, they took it out of there and we put it into a separate piece of legislation. Now, this governs everything from secrecy provisions to how SARS raises assessments, debt collection, uh, suspension of payment, dispute resolution. So all of these various elements is there, and it allows for a, a, a common structure that applies across all different types of taxes. And it also now codifies and, and unifies all of these provisions. So some of the, the most uh, notable changes that have taken place is one is on the dispute resolution side, where additional time is given to taxpayers now to lodge objection, where before you had 30 business days, you'll now have 80 business days to do it in. Uh, also processes in place to try and reduce the time it takes for alternative dispute resolution. But in context of what we're discussing today, probably the most important amendment is the, the changes with regards to the secrecy provisions. Because uh, you must understand that when you're giving information to SARS, they uh, have a very, very strict uh, secrecy provision that is written into our law about how they may share information and, and what they may do with that information. Now, that has been uh, pretty much, I would say, extended so to allow for other agencies, so for instance, um, the, the uh, Directorate for Nonprofit Organizations, as well as the uh, Companies and Intellectual Properties Commission, or referred to as CIPC, which is who you go to if you register a company, and Master of the High Court will deal with things like trusts, uh, that all of these other parties that are also part of the equation of businesses and, and, uh, and commerce will be able to access information from SARS or SARS can share information with them as well so that it's not always just stuff coming into SARS, but they can also share it outwards. And the biggest issue for that would effectively be knowing the business, knowing who the beneficial owners are and what the business is actually doing. And uh, also that there's some correlation between the different disclosures, uh, which is critical for us to address the issues um, underlying the grey listing that we have. So let's delve into, um, you know, some of that then, uh, Etienne. Uh, the grey listing was a very interesting thing. And for a lot of people, when it first happened, there were all sorts of questions about what is this about? Uh, because most of the time people are used to hearing the words blacklisting. Um, so when it came to the grey listing, you know, people started doing research and understanding the fact that um, it has to do with, uh, you know, to some extent, it has to do with a country's 
you know, uh, fortitude against things like your financial crime? How easy or hard is it to commit, uh, you know, certain acts of, let's say, fraud, for example, um, and the like, at least to my understanding, um, you know, that's what we're talking about, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, things like gray listing. So being put on a gray list, you know, is sort of a warning to the world that, you know, perhaps South Africa systems aren't um, where they're meant to be. So specifically, when it comes to this piece of, uh, you know, legislation, what what are they actually trying to? What are the, the what are the gaps that they are trying to close? Because clearly something has been found. I think you alluded to one or two of these, such as the secrecy piece, um, you know, of the equation. So I think the the uh, maybe let's just understand for for a moment uh, what the grey listing actually encounters uh, or, or entails. Now back in twenty twenty one. Uh, um, we were given essentially 67 recommendations uh, and and pretty much a year to show that we're making progress towards meeting those those objectives. Um, and the failure for us to to really kind of get there and and remember some of these things require uh, legislative amendments, other require system changes. So it's it's not always as easy to implement, but uh, effectively. Uh, the the failure for us to implement many of these recommendations is what puts us into that grey listing. The and the grey listing essentially is two primary things. One is uh, in terms of anti money laundering, and the other is in terms of counter terrorism financing. So uh, and and one of the probably the most difficult parts uh, to deal with, which is where you've got things in CRPC uh, and the, the non-profit organizations and the master of the high court and SARS and all of them kind of playing a vital role in is if I know who the beneficial owner is, and, and, I'll, and I'll explain what that means now, but what if, if you have an understanding of who the beneficial owner is, you can address some of these issues. So that's probably one of the most difficult ones or most important ones to deal with. Um, the others would include things such as understanding the source of funds, the purpose of funds. Um, but if we talk about beneficial owner, it's easy for me to say, here's a company. I call it company ABC and you're transacting with company ABC and you turn a blind eye and say, I'm just transacting with them. But without really knowing behind the scenes who ultimately owns that business, who operates that business, who has control over that business, who benefits from that, um, tells you more about who I'm dealing with. Because it's easy to create smoke and mirrors when uh, I can put structures in place that that uh, kind of pretend that I'm dealing with a legitimate business, but that really knowing who's behind it, and that's where you think the master of the high court for trusts are involved or the company's uh, registrar in, in terms of who ultimately owns that business, is in charge of that business. Uh, and, and we, some time back, have seen issues like this come out. We had the Panama Papers as a, is probably one of the most prominent ones to deal with. I mean, there was the Swiss leaks and those and tax evasion, but the Panama Papers, as an example, showed us there that you had a law firm that would help you set up a company. And because I didn't have to really tell anyone who owns it, uh, I, I would have some random person there sign and say, I'll stand as director, and you could flow funds in and out of this business without anyone really understanding the purpose of that fund, what it does, 
where it goes to, who it benefits. So that's what the biggest changes that we're going to have to deal with uh, is that beneficial owner needs to be known. And then the next would be understanding the purpose of the flow of funds. Um, and that will address uh, uh, to a great extent or identify risks when we're dealing with things like money laundering or even anti-terrorism activities. Now, Etienne, it is very interesting the way that you are describing what uh, what needs to be done um, here because I think some of the research that we've done uh, sort of shows that as part of uh, the proposal um, that's on the table, they would, uh, you know, to your point about uh, beneficial ownership, who's really um, the owner here, um, the fact that you would be able to share information between uh, SARS, uh, you know, CIPC, um, you know, Directorate for Nonprofit Organizations, Master of the High Court, you know. And what I'm thinking about in my head is when uh, I come from a technology background and we tend to talk about dashboards, and uh, I'm, I'm in essence thinking to myself that, you know, something like this will be able to create some type of an interface where you'll be able to channel information from these different areas into one place so that if, let's say, for example, um, Etienne, Etienne and Mudiwa Enterprises, um, you know, if you type that thing in, it can pull in information from all these different entities and actually tell you from, a, from you know, behind the scenes, you know, who's actually behind this thing, what are the transactions that they've been doing, you know, are there any cases against them, you know, all of that information in one place as opposed to, can I call it a ring fencing of certain information that has allowed for these loopholes to be in place in the first place? Well. So, so I think there's two things. One is what information we record, and the second is the flow of information. So, if if I uh, so take example of CIPC and SARS. Now, CIPC for you to register a company, you go and you say, "Here's the company's name. Here's the address. These are the directors." I don't have to tell them who the shareholders are or who the beneficial owners are. I just have to tell them who a director is. The so I want to start a company now. I would go to CIPC and say, I'd like to set up this company. Here's my address. Here's my director. And the director's ID number is put in. And it's linked to the Department of Home Affairs. And they check and they say the ID number is all fine. And it all links and that's fine. But remember, now to start this company, what they know is who's the director. They don't really know who's the shareholder or who the beneficial owner is who ultimately benefits from this company. Now, this same information flows from CIPC to SARS. Now, SARS receives tax returns. They use this for register. They might get a little bit more information. They still also don't really know who the beneficial owner or shareholder is, but they get more information. But now we have secrecy provisions as well in the administration's law that prevent SARS from feeding information from CIPC, uh, sorry, from SARS back to CIPC. So all the information is pretty much one directional and it's limited. So if we now take the change in the landscape, we now have CIPC who says, I need to know who the beneficial owner is. So now they take this extra beneficial owner information um, and that information can now flow from there to SARS. 
But now SARS also becomes aware of information. After this amendment, it allows that SARS can go and say, hey, I've got an extra piece of the puzzle or some information or a mismatch between what you've got and what I've got. And they can now share, which now creates a better environment of where uh, you've got collaboration amongst these organizations who now take information more than we had before. And now with this cooperation or collaboration, you, you're now making, I'm going to say almost you make the world smaller. You're making it more difficult for me to hide behind a company or a name or a single director and say, hey, you don't know who I am. Um, and I think when you start doing that, that's when you start removing the potential for, uh, uh, I would say, not only for money laundering and, and criminal activities, but you also start making it smaller from a tax evasion point of view. You know what, Etienne, one of the things I'm most curious about when you are, it's quite obvious the fact what we are, the, the, the gaps that we're trying to close um, with something, uh, what you call this, with something like this. But on the other side of the same equation, just sort of playing devil's advocate here, are there any benefits with the current system and its opacity at all? Um, yeah, look, to some extent it will. Um, your, your difficulty is that everything that you have to do has to now... Um, I've taken information. So I've got, I would almost say, uh, two baskets. I've got a basket of older, let's say, companies, trusts, nonprofits, and so on that have been set up that I now have to get information for. And then I've got another basket of anyone who registers new. And I can, from the beginning, take information from you. So I think your, your difficulty that they're going to face is, especially from a systems point of view and a, and a legislative and, a, and, a, and a, even a practical implementation point of view, is how do I bring everyone who's already, and remember some of these companies have been around for 60 years. Um, it's not that it's something that was registered yesterday. So you've got a lot of companies and some of these have even stopped trading perhaps. Um, there's been a lot of shift. How do I bring all of that? And, 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 and I've also got things like trust and so on that, that a lot of those old trustees are not digitized. They're still an old paper format to the master's offices. How do I take all of that, get that into uh, uh, or up to date with the required information? Going forward, it's always easier because I put in a new form, I put a new requirement, a new validation, and I can deal with it. Your and then after that, we'll come to updates. As we change a business's sole shareholders change, how do I update that? So there's so many little, I would say, little nuances in this that, and, and this is, uh, you know, it goes beyond just SARS or CIPC. It's all accountable institutions would effectively need to, to be able to run or may have this kind of information available and to manage that. And I think that's going to be a big challenge. Um, and I think system-wise, building systems to manage that is difficult. And also when you submit the stuff, it's how easy am I making it for you to comply? Um, if you make it too difficult for a company to comply or for a party to give you that information, um, you're also asking for, for compliance level, levels to be low. So I have to make it very easy. but 
still with sufficient controls, sufficient validations, um, and protection of that information as well. Etienne, maybe we can continue with uh, some of the challenges here. I think you've just outlined um, some of the implementation challenges, uh, some of the work uh, that would need to be done both uh, from a systems point of view internally between the different parties and also um, the compliance burden that it would place um, you know, on uh, various entities, you know, some of which were registered a long time ago, um, you know, like what you said, and they would need to comply with some of these new requirements. For me, a, a key question is around uh, privacy, right? Because uh, a lot of people have been making a lot of noise about information sharing in South Africa, GDPR in Europe, and in South Africa, we've got uh, the Poppy Act, which has, uh, you know, come in and um, been quite stringent in terms of the types of information uh, that is able to be shared between uh, various parties. Now, is there an alignment, you know, between the current bill and that existing legislation? Because I'm pretty sure uh, that it would need to comply or at least align with that other piece of legislation to allow for that sharing of information between various entities to actually happen behind the scenes? Yes. So, uh, and that's a great question. But remember the purpose of, of the laws. So when you've got something like Poppy, it's about protection, protecting personal information, but that's from a consumer point of view. So when you deal with me in a normal sense of business, I collect data from you because I've got you on a on a on a uh, like a news list and a and an email list, and and I want to send you information and contact you. Now, to a certain extent, I want to limit how much of my information you have because there's a risk with that information that you've got. So let's say you've got details of my banking and some of my personal information. That information can easily be used. To buy by someone else for nefarious purposes, to maybe to hack an account or to be able to take control. So, the protection of my information is quite important to me, but from a consumer point of view. Now, when we've got here is when we deal with, let's say, SARS, that's in a tax context, is not the same as the consumer point. So, we don't have a conflict with things like Poppy, which will restrict. Because SARS doesn't have to restrict its uh, its access of information or its um, its holding of information only to the point of where it believes to be relevant in, in, in its in its actions. It actually has a whole different mandate. Its mandate is to collect taxes in an efficient uh, way, and 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 in doing that, it needs a lot of information, and it's not restricted. It doesn't doesn't have the same requirements to get rid of information once you're no longer a taxpayer or they don't believe it to be relevant. And it's the same with like CRPC. CRPC has a mandate. So they, their access to information or their holding of information is very different from a normal consumer type engagement. So there you don't have that conflict. Where you do have is you have an expectation of privacy, but we're dealing with things like the privacy of that information is dealt with, for instance, the secrecy rules that we have within the Tax Administrations Act, which is far more um, important than, for instance, Poppy, where uh, because the way in which I collected information as a tax authority isn't isn't in a normal consumer sense, so they they really are not conflicting with each other. 
Me, however, if I am asked from SARS to provide information, uh, I can't turn around to SARS and say, well, in terms of Poppy, I'm not going to give you that information because they are entitled to ask for that as long as it's relevant in terms of a tax risk that's associated. Um, so, But if another person comes to me and says, well, I want this information about this your consumer or your client, I'm going to say, well, I have a duty and obligation to, to protect the consumer in terms of Poppy. I have an obligation not to retain information longer than what it is necessary for me uh, to, to use that information purposefully. So, um, so if you're no longer my client, what information do I retain of yours? Um, and a lot of that risk will come down to uh, my financial reporting and, and other things that's there. I cannot, I'm not allowed to keep that information beyond that useful purpose. Uh, and I think that's where, because the laws are so different and they, they're really not going to conflict with each other, there isn't really an amendment needed there. And there's a carve-out in, in property in any event for, for things like the tax authorities. No, thank you so much for that um, explanation. I think it's uh, clear that, like you said, there would likely not be a need uh, for an amendment on the side of uh, Poppy. Um, and, uh, you know, the different laws are working together uh, from, uh, you know, what you're saying. It is quite interesting, you know, that we are in this day and age um, where you can have so much information uh, that is being gathered on, you know, different individuals uh, that is now so easily, so easily accessible. Uh, and if you think about it, it's 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 not even a new issue or a new problem because people have been keeping records of their customers and clients for decades. It's just that now we're faced with a digital dilemma as opposed to one of, uh, you know, cabinets and file uh, file cabinets and storage rooms that have reams of paper, um, you know, and whatnot in the background. But maybe before we um, end off today's discussion, then Etienne, when everything comes together, let's say everything happens, uh, the bill is passed because it's still a bill um, and it is enacted into law and, you know, some of these things begin to be enforced. How far does that take South Africa in terms of um, getting uh, the country off of, let's say, a grey list, for example? Or does this just end up being one of the elements that just needs to be in place, um, you know, as part of a bigger uh, overall national mission uh, from a policy point of view to get uh, South Africa off of that uh, grey list? So, I mean, there, there are a number of different uh, lists, and I mean, some of those look for things like political stability and and uh, and, and the likes. But remember that the ones we're dealing with here, so the, the 67 recommendations that were made were all made, and a and, and large portion of those are against money laundering and anti uh, um, uh, counter-terrorism financing. But remember beyond that, there's also uh, things to dealing with, for instance, domestic money laundering uh, to a state capture, uh, sufficient record keeping, dealing with, with things like corruption. So, um, and a lot of that comes also with regards to, to capital flows. So I think it's not as simple as us being able to say, oh, well, now I've got the beneficial owners uh, step in place, now take us off the list. 
it's going to take some time and it's a lot of uh, a lot to be done. And even if we've got the mechanism in place, we've got to be able to show that we are collecting that information and keeping it up to date and have done sufficient to do so. It's going to take some time to get there. I think we can get to a point of where we could get off that list, but it's it's not going to be a quick fix. This is going to be something that's going to take some time because a lot of it is requiring uh, some of it requires legislative amendments, some of it, so if I look at things as any anti-money laundering provisions, some of those require even other legislative amendments to, to give effect to some of these actions. Uh, there's systems that have to be developed and implemented to it. There's the the actioning on that, such as the collecting of this data through CRPC and validations, and uh, so it's, a, it's still a long road to go before I think we'll be at a point where we can say, hey, well, you know, take us off now. Um, but I think what is very positive for us to take from this is that instead of us just saying, oh, well, you know, we'll get to it, um, we we have seen action being taken. We're seeing CRPC, SARS, uh, the master of the, the, the high court, uh, all of these different organizations are, uh, are taking the, the necessary steps to try and give actions here. And I think that's what we must take positive from is that that action is happening, that that they are trying to address the issue and not just sitting back and and, uh, giving lip service. Etienne, perhaps that's where we can end off today's discussion. Uh, Perhaps on, uh, I'm hoping it's going to be a positive note, um, given the fact that uh, there are movements towards um, addressing these issues. And where I wanted to end off is around the point you are a professional um in this space and you probably spend a lot of time um you know studying the the various legislative proposals and whenever there's legislative proposals there's a huge effort um to go out into the to go out and do research and see best practice and uh that type of thing and um given that type of awareness right how bad or, you know, how good or bad is South Africa's systems when it comes to this particular discussion, maybe compared to other parts of the world? Because um, internally, I, I find sometimes in South Africa, there can be an attitude, um, you know, of uh, saying that things are so bad. Um, there's so much that needs to change, uh, not recognizing the fact that in many, many respects, um, South Africa is actually quite ahead in certain respects, whether it comes to policy, implementation, um, you know, that type of thing. And I w- I'm hoping that you can tell us something similar, um, you know, when it comes to uh, this discussion around tax and transparency and all of that. Yes, the country is on a gla- on a gray list. We are not uh, we're not uh, dismissing that piece, but I guess we're just asking, you know, if there are any green shoots, um, you know, that are that are part of this entire thing. Yeah, well, I, I think you know, from a SARS point of view, uh, I think our legislation itself is is um, very much in line with with international, and in some cases, I would say probably better than many of our counterparts. I'll take the technological side of it, things like e-filing. Um, I mean, we've had other countries come and see how we do it to, to replicate it because it, it really has taken us quite a bit forward. If I had to think just a few years ago how much you had to do in branch versus 
you literally don't have to put your foot on a branch anymore to to do most of tax admin is 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 a massive step forward. The uh, and if I also look at, it, for instance, the the evolution that CRPC has gone through in registering companies and and how much more efficient it's gotten, where you literally everything can be done remotely and and via uh, uh, digital channels, uh, I really think you know has we have stepped up to those. A lot of that comes down to what information. But remember, these organisations have to comply with what the law tells them to do. So SARS can only apply what the Act allows them to do or tells them that their job is. So it's not as simple as saying, oh, SARS, you need to do something, or CRPC, you need to do something. It often requires a, a legislative structure that says, this is your job, now do it, and then we can build the systems. Um, and I do think we've come a long way with it. And things like the Master of the High Court has been for some time now uh, heavily engaged with, with parties like SARS on looking at how to, to create uh, or how to digitize uh, all of these records. And that's massive amount of record. I mean, these, some of these records span, uh, you know, older than, than, than you or I. Uh, and you've got to now try and digitize and put this all into an electronic format. It's, it's a massive task. But I think a lot has been done to to get us there. And, you know, when I compare to some of our neighbours um, in, in terms of how they operate, we are, without a doubt, I, I think, leading that, that, uh, that drive. Um, so I think we can take some, some solace from the fact of that things are being done, the systems are there in place, uh, and there are certain organisations that, that are really – trying to get the get the job done so that's where we end off, uh, you know, on a bit of a uh, positive note, uh, just noting the fact that uh, South Africa is actually quite ahead in certain respects. Um, you know, when you compare how South Africa's systems uh, take uh, the tax systems, for example, such as e-filing, are compared to either neighboring countries or other parts of the world, um, South Africa has uh, been able to make a number of advancements, um, you know, in its reporting and in its ability to service the public and um, how it conducts itself um, and that's where we end off for today that however does not negate the fact that uh, despite the progress there certainly needs to be a lot of work done and uh, this was the purpose of today's discussion you know just uh, talking about uh, you know what's going on in terms of the tax administration laws um, amendment bill that is actually seeking uh, to increase some of uh, the transparency and uh, information sharing that is actually happening between you know different bodies that are out there such as uh, the South African Revenue Services, uh, the Companies and Intellectual Property Commission that is CIPC as well as uh, non the Directorate for Non-Profit um, Organizations and the Master of the High Court you know just so that we can reduce some of the opacity uh, that has allowed um, you know for some of uh, you know the financial crimes uh, that are happening out there, um, the ability to actually see who owns and operates, you know, certain entities and, you know, also at the same time to go some way 
uh, to actually help to um, get South Africa off of that uh, gray list, uh, gray listing that uh, the country has uh, been dealing with uh, for the last couple of years. Very interesting, you know, to hear some of uh, the different considerations, what it's actually going to mean um, going forward. And one of the things that Etienne actually um not not necessarily warns about but he's actually quite real um and candid in explaining is the fact that implementing such systems will not be easy and there's certain things that do need to be done that will require a lot of work in the background such as um uh, putting in new systems and making sure that everything um works as it is it does increase um the burden from all involved um you know whether you're talking about the institutions themselves or uh, the companies and the operators that will need to then comply, um, you know, with some of the new proposals uh, that may soon become law. So that's been it. It has been a really great discussion. Uh, thank you so much. We were chatting uh, to uh, to Etienne Retief, who is the chairman of the South African uh, Institute of uh, Professional Accountants National Tax and SARS Committee. Etienne, thank you so much for being with us. And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcasts on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter. We're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. Thank you to our amazing team. I've been Mudio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight, which is a multimedia live production. So for myself and the rest of the team, it is a good evening, good afternoon, and good morning. Good morning.